Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We had a great start to the season across much of New South Wales, resulting in crops that farmers hadn't seen for many years. Grazing the stubble allows farmers to utilise the whole crop and good crops this year have been wonderful. But for grazing stock, caution needs to be applied. Crops have been hail damaged or lodged across some parts of the state, preventing full harvest and thus leaving excess grain in the stubble. It's time for you welcomes Dr Gillian Kelly to discuss summer grazing and related animal health concerns we should be mindful of this year. Gillian graduated from Sydney Uni in 2005 with a Bachelor of Veterinary Science and after working in private practice throughout much of Australia and the United Kingdom, she became the district vet with what is now known as the Local Land Services in 2011. Gillian's main role is to deliver herd and flock diagnostic and production services to landholders in the Canamble District and strategic biosecurity to the New South Wales State Government. Her main interests include upskilling farmers to run better and more productive farms, while at the same time improving vet-client relationships to improve notifiable disease reporting and achieve better animal welfare outcomes. She also really loves a good post-mortem. Gillian achieved her membership in 2015 in ruminant nutrition, which came in very handy during the long and severe drought in her, her area experienced. She's more recently a host of her own podcast about ag life, Seeds for Success. In her spare time, Gillian enjoys spending time on the farm, camp drafting, painting, contributing to her local community, and like all of us, watching the grass grow. Welcome Gillian, and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Fiona. What's it like being on the other end of the microphone? You normally do the interviewing. Um, yeah, a lot more in, a lot scarier, I think. I, I think I'd <laughs> rather be doing the interviewing. <laughs> oh, I think you'll be great. <laughs> Gillian, if we're going to be here to talk about sheep nutrition and health, we really need to start with the rumen. And it's lucky for all our listeners that it's one of your many passions. So can you tell us why the rumen's so important? Yeah, it is one of my many passions. It became really apparent not long into my job as a district vet that it all, nearly everything boiled down to nutrition. Um, might be just that I have the pleasure of being the vet at Canamble where it rarely ever rains, but um, it all circulates around the room. And I guess it's so important because evolutionary, um, if, you, if you think of it from an evolutionary viewpoint, ruminants were designed to break down poor quality roughage. They digest feed that monogastrics can't digest and so that rumen is a very um, well engineered um, fermentation vat that um, needs to be well looked after in order to do just that so it's all about the microbes the rumen is full of those little microbes and if we can feed them properly and keep them happy 
we're going to um, make the most out of those really poor quality feeds like our stubbles this year. And you just mentioned that the microbes have to be active and working well. Is there some way on farm that we can test the effectiveness of the rumen of our sheep? Oh, I suppose from a practical sense, from a farmer's viewpoint, watching how your animals are doing um, is one thing. I mean, if the rumen's going well, the sheep will go well. Another thing you can do is look at the poo. Um, I spend a lot of time on farms looking at poo and wonder why I went to uni for five years. <laughs> um, but the poo can tell you lots. So if it's really um, quite fibrous, you've obviously got a lot of fibre in the diet. You really can see that with cattle, um, uh, less so with sheep, but it still pays to look. And and more so if you've got grain poisoning, which may be a risk for people who have got a lot of unharvested crops that they're putting uh, sheep into this year, you will see really runny poos. They will be bubbly or they'll look like, uh, the best way to describe it is pancake batter. Um, if they look like that, you've got some issues with that rumen and, and, um, and probably some grain poisoning. And ruminants, as we all know, cows and sheep, they produce a lot of saliva. What's the role in it? Why is it so important? Yeah, it's so important. So a sheep will actually produce up to 10 litres of saliva a day. So it's quite a massive volume. And the main ingredient in saliva is sodium bicarbonate. So if we can get them to salivate, we get them to produce their own buffer. Like bicarb is a really powerful buffer that reduces acidity in the rumen. So if we can get them to chew their card, to salivate, to swallow their own saliva, we're, we're putting um, bicarb into their rumen, which is um, super important on a, on a grain diet. They're giving themselves their own mylanta, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we often put out, you know, we try to put out licks, we try to add stuff into the ration to buffer, but this is, um, you know, the um, nature's own buffer. Well, I had no idea, Jill, that you could get 10 litres of saliva out of one little sheep. So you've certainly taught me something entertaining for trivia today. What role does sodium and potassium play? We hear them talk, talked about so often. Yeah, so in the room and wall or in the gut wall, um, there's a little um, ion exchange program, which is sodium and potassium dependent. So one sodium in, one potassium out, one sodium in, one potassium out. And that's how our macro minerals piggyback on and get absorbed. So that's how calcium and magnesium get absorbed. And to have that pump working well and to have calcium and magnesium absorbed um, well, we want our sodium and our potassium to be well balanced in you know, equal quantities. But what happens um, in some of our diets, so for example, um, green feed, really high in potassium, some of our um, drought diets, so cereal grains, uh, not only low in calcium, but um, not, not high enough in sodium. So um, we get, that pump gets a little bit out of balance. And so to correct that, um, we put sodium into the diet. That'll correct our pump and that'll maximise absorption of calcium and magnesium. Out here at Canamble, hypocalcemia is one of the most common uh, clinical diseases that I see in sheep. They get it for no reason in the paddock if they're not supplemented. And I've spent a long time pondering why and um, don't, don't really know why, but safe to say it's, um, in, in our environment at least, all sheep need to be supplemented with 
some sort of calcium and salt, so lime and salt or a commercial product that includes those ingredients um, at all times just to stop the risk of hypocalcemia developing. And the bonus, particularly on a stubble crop, um, is that salt makes your mouth water, so it's going to make you produce more bicarb if you're a sheep, and it also makes you want to drink. So hopefully if we're putting out a salty supplement, the animals will want to go and drink. Um, on a very fibrous diet, we want plenty of water in that rumen um, to hydrate that animal and to help break down all of that really fibrous dry feed. Gillian, the other thing that we think about when we look and talk about nutrition of our ruminants are energy and protein. In your view, which is more important? You hear farmers put emphasis on both of them um, either together or by themselves, but the jury yeah, can sometimes be out when you're talking to farmers over it. Yeah, I think uh, like this pre pre this last drought or at the very start of it, I'd get an awful lot of farmers who'd ring up and tell me about the hay they'd bought and what the protein percentage was, how good it was in protein. And protein is very important, absolutely, but energy is more important and energy will be a bigger driver of production than protein will. So I really like my farmers to tell me about the energy content of the hay first or the grain or whatever else they're feeding. So energy comes first in my book and protein comes a close second. But yeah, um, and I think on the stubble this year, um, energy is going to play an incredibly vital role because what we know is that stubble, there's energy in there. Not, we'll probably talk about feed tests of the stubbles that we've tested just recently in a sec, but there is energy locked into those stubble um, particles, but they're really fibrous. So there's a lot of lignin and cellulose and it's a, it's a very difficult type of energy for those rumen bugs to break down. But those rumen bugs are, are awesome and they can do that if they're fed enough readily digestible carbohydrate and a readily digestible form of protein. It's basically like giving them their lunchbox, you know, giving them something really yummy to eat so that they can go and work really hard and break down the stubble. Gillian, you just mentioned feed testing there, which I really would like to talk about because it's, I think anyway, it's really quite fundamental if you're going to get your nutrition right. You have to know what's going into the animal and whether you're doing um, that by feeding them grain or hay that you've bought in or, as you said, stubble or even pasture that you can get tested as well. What have the feed tests been like this year in your area? Have there been any differences to previous years? Uh, yeah, so um, I was quite interested to, to get some feed tests back after the prolonged drought and we haven't had a harvest for a few years. So I was interested to see what the crops would do. And it seems that the grains are testing really, really well. So I had some feed tests come in from Ningen on some oats, um, like oats grain just lately. And um, yeah, much higher in energy and protein than what the farmer expected. Um, and usually when you get a crop that does put up really good quality grain, the stubble is not so good. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So um, the stubble feed tests that um, I did just from Canamble, um, I, I collected the samples last week. The energy on a barley stubble was 5.1 megajoules and the uh, crude protein was 3.8. So incredibly low, it's the equivalent of cardboard. That's very interesting that you say that, um, that 
the more the higher the grain is the lower the stubble what implications is that going to cause this year when we're grazing it well, I think if you, you truly do have a paddock of just stubble, the stock are going to go backwards. Um, those energy and protein levels are well below maintenance. And it's so very fibrous that the animals won't be able to physically eat enough and those microbes won't be able to break down that incredibly fibrous feed in order to um, achieve maintenance. So the important thing is, is if you truly do have a paddock of stubble, you're going to need something else in there to stimulate those rumen bugs and to add energy and protein. So sheep, sheep. the beauty of sheep is that they're great scavengers. So hopefully they'll be in there getting any spilt grain, getting any heads that haven't been stripped and getting any weeds or shoots that pop up. Um, and that will be an excellent mix. That'll um, stimulate the rumen bugs and provide some feed and, um, and allow those rumen bugs to break down that stubble. Gillian, you joined me last week for a, the Sheep Connect New South Wales webinar on this topic and you had a really lovely analogy which I found quite amusing that I'd like you to share with us. And it was one of your colleagues that had done a feed test on a VB carton and that the, your stubble test was you know, basically equivalent to that. Yeah, so Brett Littler, who many listeners will know, who's the livestock officer for local land services in the Tablelands region, uh, yeah, actually really did do a feed test on a VB carton and um, it came back at five megajoules of energy and 4% protein. So as I just said, the cereal stubble from Canamble that I tested last week came back at 5.1 megajoules and 3.8. So yeah, it's it's cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> And um, what would you suggest, how are we best going to graze the stubbles this year so that we can utilise that small amount of energy that's in them? Yeah, I'd go out into your stubble paddocks first and have a look at what's in there. Um, if you do have sections of crop that haven't been able to be harvested because they're lodged or because there's there's been damage or something like that, you just want to assess the risk of grain poisoning for starters. Um, but um, we can do certain things to manage that. But assuming that that's not a major risk and you do want to put your stock in, you just need to make sure that there's something else in there for them to scavenge. And um, I know we, we are talking about sheep, but um, if we are talking about cattle, um, they won't have the ability to do that really selective grazing. So cattle will definitely need a supplement on, um, on stubble to help their rumen. And we just mentioned there that, and I did so in the introduction as well, that a lot of farmers haven't been able to fully harvest their crop this year due to them being very heavy, laying down hail damage. Quite a few different reasons have been coming to the surface. That's going to leave an awful lot of grain on the ground for some of these animals, which you just mentioned there could lead to grain poisoning. What are the ways we can prevent grain poisoning? Will supplementation play a role in that? Yeah, I think that's a really good idea, Fiona. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd have a think about what sort of grain it is. So wheat is incredibly high risk, really high in starch. Barley is also quite high risk. It's a bit lower in starch, but still a risk. Oats is a lot lower in starch. So have a think about what sort of grain it is. And then um, if there's a large amount of grain in the paddock, yes, I would consider inducting them onto grain 
before they go into the paddock. So you can use the Managing Drought Handbook guidelines on how to induct stock onto grain, but basically I would probably trail feed them every day or even twice a day if you wanted to speed things up a bit and slowly increase the volume of grain every day um, before you put them into the paddock. That's a great idea. Um, the other thing is that you can put out supplements. Um, so lime and salt, we, we already talked about the salivation and then producing their own buffer. So that's a good one. And lime is a natural buffer as well. There's also other supplements that you can get that are commercial preparations that contain, um, you know, rumen modifiers and things like that, that can reduce the grain poisoning risk. There can be issues with palatability. And of course, when you put supplements out into a big paddock, you never know who quite eats what. So um, the uptake can be a bit hit and miss, but that's something to consider as well. I think the biggest thing though is um, not to put the stock on hungry and by their very nature, sheep and cattle eat less in the afternoons. So they get up in the mornings, they have a big large volume non-discriminant graze, they go and have a camp, and then in the afternoons, they come out and they have a low volume, more discriminant graze. So whenever we introduce any stock to a new paddock, we always advise you to do it in the afternoon because they're less likely to go in and, and eat themselves silly. When our sheep are grazing stubble, there's going to be some animal health implications, which we've sort of touched on and grain poisoning is going to be one of the big ones. But what else should we be on the lookout for this season? Uh, yeah, so I would definitely make sure that your stock are vaccinated uh, for pulpy kidney, so for clostridial diseases, before you put them onto a crop. Um, yeah, anything with a high carbohydrate load, so spilt grain, or if we get some rain and we get some green shoots coming through, um, that will be a risk. So I would um, make sure they're fully vaccinated. I would spend a bit of time out in the paddocks. I wouldn't just put them in there and forget about them. I'd spend a bit of time out there. I'd look at their poo just for any signs of grain poisoning. I'd look and see if there's any um, feet problems. So lameness, that can be an early warning sign that you've got grain poisoning. Um, tucked up sheep that just don't look happy in the belly. That's another sign of grain poisoning. And I'd also keep an eye on what plants are growing um, in between the stubble as the season progresses because the sheep will be hammering those little plants and if they're poisonous, so heliotropes are a really good example, you may um, end up with plant poisonings as a result. Um, the other thing to be aware of is, is um, like awns from the head of the grain and um, yeah, we don't commonly see that as a problem clinically with sheep, they tend to be really good discriminant grazers and really good chewers. But I would um, just be conscious that anything that's got a beard on it can, can potentially cause an issue. So if you see any sheep that look like they're having mouth troubles or they're salivating or they look sore around the mouth, you might have to catch a few and have a look. Gillian, we've focused pretty well on cereal grains. Are there other crops which pose an animal health risk if we're putting them out onto stubble? Yeah, I'd probably just mention lupinosis. So this is not something that I've seen in my area, but I know that vets further south have definitely seen it. And um, lupinosis occurs on lupin stubble and it's a fungus that occurs mainly in the stubble. It can occur in the seeds and in the pods, but it's mainly in the stubble. It, it usually occurs a bit later on. So they usually see issues from January to May and it's caused by a fungus. If, you've, if you have a look at your lupin stubble and you see that leopard spotting, 
um, that's a high risk. That's suggestive that the fungus is present. So if you've got leopard spotting, I would suggest not to graze the lupins. Um, and the, what it does is the fungus causes liver damage. So the animals lose weight and they do die and the losses can be quite high. There's a much higher risk if it's humid and wet. So that's something to think about if the La Nina does occur and we do get wet weather. So if you do want to graze lupin stubble, I'd say go out and have a look. If you're going to graze it, graze it early, so sort of now, and graze it for a short period and pull them off before that high risk period. And um, keep a really close eye on them. So poke into the paddock and push the sheep and make them walk off and make sure nothing looks sick and nothing tails behind. And if you see any clinical signs, pull them, give your vet a ring and pull them off the paddock. Gillian, during the drought, there was increased reports of incidents of cathead staggers. Do we have to be on the lookout for that now that the season's broken? Are we still at risk of it this year? Yeah, it's certainly on my radar. We saw cathead staggers throughout the drought, and I think it's because a lot of the cathead staggers that we see, particularly the tribulus terrestrius type of staggers, which affects, which it's, it's irreversible and it affects British bred sheep, it occurs because of chronic ingestion. So it's not just that they ate it this season, it's probably that they ate it last season and the season before. And sometimes the disease can pop up when there's no cathead in the paddock. It's from eating it before. So I think our sheep, because we had a long drought and, and we tended to get like tiny showers of rain in summer and the only thing that grew was cathead and the, the animals really chased that, we've already got some predisposed sheep that have probably eaten cathead for several seasons already. So if they get a bit more this year, you may well see problems. Um, there's not only that tribulus terrestrius type stagger that affects the British bred sheep, we also see tribulus micrococcus, which is just another variety of cathead effect merinos and other breeds. Um, it is reversible if you remove them from the paddock. Um, so a bit of variation in, in the clinical disease, but I think the moral of the story is if you've got a, a heavily dominated cathead paddock, I wouldn't be putting sheep in there. We saw a lot of staggers throughout the drought. Yeah, okay. And the other condition we heard more about during the drought was water belly. Do you think that we'll continue to see it this year? I have seen um, water belly on stubble, and it's certainly something that I've been warning my farmers about. We mainly see it in sheep where you've sort of got the planets aligned. So you've got hot weather, dry fibrous feed, and inaccessible water. So um, cattle troughs that have been dug out by the cattle and it's a big stretch for the sheep to reach the water, or water that's really dirty, or water that's really, it's a shallow trough and it really gets really hot in summer. Anything that dis, um, dissuades sheep from drinking will mean that they get quite dehydrated. And the dehydration is also precipitated by that dry fibrous feed. When they're eating stubble, the rumen kind of draws water in from the circulation to, to macerate and to mash up all of that dry fibrous feed. So the animals do get a bit dehydrated. And that means that their urine gets really concentrated. And that means that protein actually sediments out and when we see that, well, like when we do postmortems on those sheep and see it, it's kind of, it's like, like a muddy sludge um, and that will block male sheep. Males because they've got a longer, thinner urethra and there's a lot, it, because it's a longer, thinner tube, it's more likely to block. So yeah, um, encourage sheep to drink, 
so give them something salty to eat. Um, so lime and salt, for example. Uh, build your troughs up and make sure your water is really accessible and the sheep can get easy access and make sure it's clean and um, a reasonable temperature for, for them to drink. Gillian, this year at Sheep Connect New South Wales on our webinar and on our podcast here, we've been talking to quite a few people about Barber's Pollworm. We've had a little bit of a reprieve from it over the drought years, but with the break in rain, we're assuming it's going to be a pretty bad year this year. How are counts looking in your area? Well, I think I've had a, a personal record. Um, I, I saw a worm test come back with an average of 20,000 eggs per gram just this week. Ooh. So, and um, he's lost one sheep. I was amazed that those sheep are still um, upright. Yeah, that's a massive count. I'm constantly amazed at how tough and resilient Barber's pole worm are. To go through a three-year drought and survive and repopulate as quickly as they have is quite unbelievable. So yeah, we have been seeing really high counts. And um, just last week, I saw my first clinical case of dying sheep. So they were dying of Barber's pole worm as the farmer was bringing them into drench. But um, yeah, they were dying of, of Barber's pole worm. So yeah, if we continue to get showers of rain, it's gonna be a really big Barber's pole worm summer. And we've been doing quite a lot of drench resistance trials around the area, which are quite enlightening. There's a, the, we, we do see a lot of drench resistance. So farmers are gonna have to spend a bit of time and a bit of effort doing worm tests, drenching strategically with drenches at work and, um, and paying real attention to what they're doing with the worms this year. And what advice would you have for farmers looking for worm control when they're grazing stubble? Well, if you think you're going to get a, a stubble grazing period where it is hot and dry, and if you've done a worm test on your sheep and you know that they've got a worm burden, but it's not a 20,000 egg per gram worm burden, so they're not at risk of dying, what I think is a good idea is to put them out onto the stubble, let them poo out a lot of worm eggs, and then graze them when they're coming off the stubble. Because what it then means is those worm eggs that they've pooed out onto that hot, dry stubble, uh, will die on the paddock. And so we're basically using the environment to kill some worms instead of always relying on drench. But I have got some farmers who are in the position of the sheep are very, very wormy. So egg counts in the many thousands. They also um, have got uh, stubbles with a lot of regrowth in between. And so the, the sheep are grazing low to the ground. And if we get, more, more showers of rain, they will be picking up larvae off that paddock. I think in those situations, you're gonna to have to drench onto your stubble. So depends what situation you're in, but I think the first thing you need to do is a worm test in order to make the decision of what you're gonna do. And summer rain, which we've had, equals flies. What's the season holding like out at your area? Yeah, I would say flies are dominating uh, conversations between farmers and um, I'm getting a lot of calls about flies, particularly people who have applied fly preventative chemicals and then continued to see struck sheep after applying the preventatives. And um, there's some new research that's been published by Narelle Sales from DPI, um, EMAI, in conjunction, um, I believe, with um, AWI on, um, yeah, just the resistance levels in terms of the fly population. So there is considerable um, fly chemical resistance 
and um, and so we need to find other ways this summer of controlling those flies. So you might need to crutch your sheep again. Uh, a lot of people are looking at six monthly shearing in an ongoing capacity. And I know you guys, Sheep Connect, have done some really great webinars on um, fly strike and, um, and breeding um, sheep for fly strike resistance, which is another good resource, Fiona. And if the farmer finds that they've just applied the chemical and they're still getting struck sheep, what should they do? Oh, this is so important. So if you can imagine you've applied a chemical and then the sheep are fly blown anyway, those maggots in those sheep are going to be like the super villains of the fly world. If we let them um, grow and turn into an adult fly, we are just encouraging uh, chemical resistance because the only reason they're in the sheep is because they're chemical resistant. If we allow them to grow and populate, we're just going to breed fly resistant maggots and flies forevermore. So if you find struck sheep, uh, sh clip the wool off that area. Um, make sure you, you leave a really wide buffer, so sort of five centimetres or more around the wound. And often that will expose like little tracks where the fly strikes run that you haven't noticed. So make sure you, you get all the wool off. And then the wool and the maggots and anything that comes away from the sheep, you can't just chuck it in a, in a wool pack and chuck it in the tip or leave it on the ground you really should put it into um, some plastic bags. So probably double bag it and leave it out in the sun so that the sun in the plastic bag really kills those maggots. We need them to die. We don't want them to survive and populate. That's really good advice. Excellent. Thanks, Gillian, for the information you've shared with our listeners and for joining me on It's Time For You. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Fiona. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.